This is VOCM News Talk. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. Here's VOCM News Talk host Linda Swain. And good afternoon, everyone, as we head into the weekend. Well, we have some weather coming. And uh, right up front, I want to make it clear that in this business, we let people know what's happening. I'm a big proponent for more information, not less. Right. So uh, if I know that there's snow coming, it's not to uh, install panic in myself or others. It's to let them know so they can make plans. If I have to drive around the bay, I want to know if I'm going to get back before the weather starts or if I need to alter my plans. If I have a flight that's heading out on a particular day. I have to be prepared for the fact, or I would like to be prepared for the fact, of the possibility that it might not go. So those are very important things about um, the way that uh, media, you know, disseminates the information. Presents the information, that's right. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of snow coming. There's a big difference between a little bit of snow and a lot of snow. Uh, that determines what the roads are going to be like, what uh, transportation routes are going to be like, whether or not Marine Atlantic is going to be sailing, those kinds of things. So uh, that kind of information is very important. It's not about instilling um, panic in people or making big rushes to grocery stores to get things that, let's be clear, is going to be there anyway whether or not you hear it on the radio as soon as somebody says oh a lot of snow people people kind of decipher what they want from that and then automatically go to the grocery store yeah so i have heard that there are people lining up and uh, big big runs on grocer items and other things and uh you know to each his own if your regular grocery day happens to fall on a day where you think there's going to be lots of snow and you don't feel like going out well that's your decision to make (laughs) you know what i mean but sometimes we we get uh, slammed, if you will, or people ask questions about, you know, why are you trying to make everybody freak out? Well, that's not what it's all about. It's about giving people as accurate and full a picture of what's ahead. And they can make their own decision whether or not they want their storm chips. Exactly. <laughs> and if, uh, if and you know, when, when forecasters, and that's what it's all about, forecast is, forecasting is sort of like soothsaying, but with a little bit of information and scientific models to go from, if you know what I mean. Better than the groundhog. So, <laughs> yeah. don't get me started on the groundhog. But um, it, it, that's only just a bit of fun, of course. I know, uh, but uh, you know, if uh, if we- if a system is heading our way on a Tuesday, and we're looking at the weekend to see if it's going to impact plans for a weekend, uh, those forecasts don't usually come together until at pretty the close. Last but minute, yeah. Oftentimes, uh, meteorologists and forecasters start to get a good bead on what's what's going on now. What? Facebook does with it, I can't tell you. But anyway, (laughs) that uh, weather is still coming because uh, I had heard a lot of conflicting reports today from people, depending on where they were getting their information about whether or not it was actually happening. Uh, But the weather is still coming, albeit slowly. So I reached out to David Neal to get a better idea of whether or not we're in the clear or if we need to get our shovels and snowblowers on the ready. Well, David, when last we spoke, I know that the uh, models were still coming together and they were a bit topsy-turvy, but there were some indicators that we might see some significant snowfall over the course of the weekend and into early next week. What are the models telling you now? 
Uh, we are starting to get a little better, uh, a little better consensus today as to what uh, what's going to happen. Um, kind of similarly to kind of how we've been we've been uh, seeing this uh, this develop. Uh, it does look like again a, a very prolonged snow event. Uh, so really seeing things very very slowly ramp up. Going to see some like lighter accumulations of snow over uh, over portions of the island really throughout the weekend, but. Really, the, the 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 main event, the really the the bigger, uh, the, the heavier snow and the and the stronger winds are going to come in. Uh, really get started. Uh, looks like late Sunday night and into Monday for uh, for a good portion, uh, good portion of the island. Um, what we are also seeing too is uh, is over um, much really parts of the east coast of the island, uh, and that's uh, uh, pretty well all the Avalon Peninsula as well. In terms of the heavier snow and blowing snow. Uh, it just looks like things might be a little bit delayed. Looks like there's a, um, a, going to be some warmer air coming in. So it looks like maybe an, an, an initial shot of snow um, Sunday night uh, into uh, into early Monday. But it does look like at uh, at some point on Monday that the precipitation may uh, uh, likely uh, change through to rain across uh, much of the Avalon Peninsula and, and, and parts of the East Coast. Uh, but then, uh, as we get uh, get into uh, the early part of the work week, as we get more into uh, either late Monday night or early Tuesday, that precipitation looks like it's going to change back to snow, and it could be uh, could be quite heavy still, uh, with some of those stronger northerly winds coming in. So, really, for much of the island, look, still looking at kind of the Sunday night, early Monday time frame before getting the the, the the bigger, the heavier snowfall and the stronger winds. Uh, and then the Avalon Peninsula uh, could probably. It looks like it may push more into Tuesday before we get uh, get the, the, the sort of the higher snowfall and the and the stronger winds there too. So uh, the Avalon uh, will see this um, period of rain. What about the uh, central Newfoundland northeast coast area that you were talking about le- yesterday that might see some more significant um, amounts? Uh, yeah, so that does look still look to be the case. If uh, in terms of the area that looks like it's going to get the highest uh, total snow, it still looks like really right across northeastern Newfoundland. Uh, could see some higher amounts to get into parts of uh, a little bit further into central, uh, as well as a little more towards uh, towards parts of the east coast as well. But it does look like really the northeastern uh, section of the island looks like it will get the the higher snowfall with this system. And again, it's going to kind of be—it's it's going to be quite gradual over the, the next little—the uh, next little while. Looking throughout the weekend, it's going to be light snow uh, over many areas, uh, really through a good portion of the weekend. Just some very gradually accumulating amounts. So you're looking at a lot of part periods of say like two to four centimeters, five centimeters, that sort of thing, uh, really throughout the weekend. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then uh, uh, getting into Sunday. Kind of the same idea. Still stays fairly light over more, more, most areas. Parts of uh, kind of western, southwestern Newfoundland could see some periods of some steadier accumulations, but generally looking at a lot of light snow uh, really throughout the day Sunday. But then, yeah, as we get into Monday, is really uh, sun, late Sunday night and into Monday is where we start to see uh, some of the heavier uh, snowfall amounts. And as, as I mentioned, really the, the northeastern section of the island uh, and then a few adjacent areas to that look like they're going to get the the, the heavier snowfall throughout, uh, throughout Monday and possibly even lingering into Tuesday for some areas. So I suppose uh, Sunday will be uh, the time when we'll have a really good handle on whether or not, um, you know, there'll be school closures or or uh, other uh, snow, <laughs> snow day type of announcements. 
Yeah, really, as we get as we get through the week, really, as, we, as we're going along with this storm, uh, of course, obviously, early in the week, um, much, much more uncertainty, but that tends to be the case with uh, uh, with storms that are out further into the extended range. But as we as we progress through uh, through the weekend, we'll continue to get a better and better idea. And even even today uh, is uh, we feel like it, it, there's a bit better handle as to uh, what we can uh, what we can expect uh, than we had yesterday. So it's uh, it's one of those things as we keep going along. Uh, we will continue to uh, to get a, a much better idea of what to uh, what to expect. But yeah, certainly uh, as as it's shaping up right now, it does look like uh, uh, for a good a good portion of the island at least, uh, people getting up Monday morning uh, could see uh, some some pretty uh, some some pretty heavy snowfall coming out with some uh, uh, some stronger uh, some stronger winds. And can get back to I just want to get back to the winds for a second. Not really seeing too much in terms of you know really really you know, significant, really crazy significant winds in terms of, you know, seeing a lot of widespread uh, gusts to 100 or anything like that. But we are still seeing some pretty, some strong northeasterlies looking generally, you know, gusts anywhere from 60 to 80 kilometers an hour. Uh, but even with that heavier snowfall coming down between the, between the heavy snowfall rates and the, uh, the kind of more moderate to heavy snowfall rates and those winds, uh, going to see some, you know, visibilities aren't going to be great uh, throughout, uh, throughout the day Monday over a lot of areas and and then other and then even getting into tuesday uh for some places as well so um still uh, st- still getting uh, still looking uh, looking ahead and still uh, uh we keep getting a better better handle on things as uh, as we progress so and that uh, that'll likely be the case as we get through the weekend too david neal thanks for this have a great weekend not a problem you too thanks for having me and uh, that's David Neal with the Environment Canada Weather Office in Gander. Well, coming up, we'll get an update on a trial, a retrial, if you will, um, that's been uh, going through the court process for some time now. Um, VOCM's Brian Callahan will be joining me in studio right after this. This is News Talk on VOCM. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Well, it's been a busy week in the courts with a number of notable um, cases before um, the, the the courts here in the St. John's region. And watching it all has been VOCM's Brian Callahan. And Brian, you attended the sentencing hearing today uh, in the case involving Craig Pope. And for those who might not remember, this case goes back quite a ways. Walk us through that. Yeah, uh, I, I have to be honest, uh, today being Groundhog Day, uh, it just is incredible that this trial, a second trial, uh, same thing, same sentence proposal by the Crown, same circumstances, uh, you know, the same trial, same conviction. Uh, it was overturned on appeal, but on Groundhog Day, it's just we were talking about this point. It was crazy. It, I can't imagine what Mr. Pope and the family's family of the victim are going through. But in any event, uh, this goes back to 2017, September the 7th, Alderbury Lane, uh, Empire Avenue, that intersection. Alderbury is a one-way street, of course, and it comes down to uh, Mundy Pond Road, sorry. It comes down to Mundy Pond. And uh, this played out on the road. Uh, there was a uh, Craig Pope and uh, Jonathan Collins were in a cab. They stopped there to get for whatever reason, to get in all the details here, but they stopped in that area. There was a fight over 
reportedly and throughout this trial we've been told sixty dollars um which i'll get to that in a minute but um there was a fist fight and somewhere along the way uh, a, a weapon was produced and mr collins was stabbed once and uh, the horrific details of that and uh, all the people who tried to help him tried to save him the police officer en route to the hospital it's hard stuff to listen to and uh, and for anybody who doesn't know the area this is a residential area yeah. bungalows everywhere mm-hmm. you know kids out yep. on the road playing that kind and of thing and this was a beautiful it was 30 degrees at six o'clock in the evening uh, it was a sunny beautiful day again these this juxtaposition sometimes linda of i always think of the weather on a day like this and where it happened outside so you try to picture it but you immediate your mind immediately goes to the weather and you know it's hard to put beautiful day with tragic murder in the same sentence but there it was um so this happened he um unfortunately passed away en route and was declared dead at the hospital we heard gut-wrenching uh, victim impact statements from his mother this morning from his sister uh his mother talking about it just wasn't you, you can think of all of these scenarios where she got the call her son was stabbed so she's driving to the hospital just hoping everything would be okay and then the picture she told this morning of watching the priest and the doctor walk towards her, and she just talked about her uncontrollable no, no screaming at the top of her lungs in the hospital. She remembers every bit of it. And, and you know, add insult to injury, so to speak, um, you know, in this case, and there are procedures we have to follow with the criminal you know, justice system and, and an incident like this, but they were unable to see him, um, uh, their son, her son, for six days. Um, they were told it was a crime scene, the evidence, and she wasn't allowed to even see him, which I'm still trying to get my head around. I'm, you know, I haven't asked for an official explanation on that, but I'm sure there is one. Uh, under those circumstances, why would you not let the mother see the, the son? But I guess this is a situation. So that she talked about that this morning and how it wasn't real for her until she actually saw him in the coffin at the funeral home. So all of that aside, uh, this is part of the sentencing hearing. The judge has to weigh all the mitigating and aggravating factors, including what the families have gone through, the impact on those left behind. Um, And so um, we went through the motions with that this morning. Justice Glenn Knoll is hearing this case, same justice who um, uh, yesterday sentenced Lorraine Obed. Uh, in a, another downtown homicide, uh, in a manslaughter case, sentenced her yesterday, and he remarked on how the difficult couple of days, you know, it's been in the courts uh, with this Again, one. Again, another uh, daylight. Uh, exactly. Beautiful evening. Summer evening, Downtown. Yeah. Everybody out and the kids are out and everything. So many people, unfortunately, had to witness this tragedy in their neighborhood. That was yesterday. Um, with this case, uh, it's a couple of things. First of all, we've always only heard that it was about $60, this dispute over $60. It was a fight and a stabbing and over $60. Justice Glenn Knoll doesn't seem to buy that. You know, he spoke directly to the families in the packed courtroom today and said, you know, we have two good families here. I can't believe that this is over $60. How did it come to this? Uh, and he expressed frustration with that. How does it come to this? And he, he has to determine how many years Craig Pope will spend in jail or in prison, in a federal prison, before he's eligible for parole. Uh, I'll get to that in a moment, but uh, he has to make that decision based on all of the relevant factors in the case and what he believes is an appropriate sentence. Not knowing in his mind exactly what caused this is causing him some consternation, obviously. I mean, he has to make that determination. So there is that. And, um, and, and other issues as well um, uh, that go back to the heart of the sentencing. So in this case, uh, of course, again, it, it, he was sentenced, already convicted in 2019. That was appealed. 
basically they found the judge in that case made errors on the differences between manslaughter and murder when he was instructing the jury. So that's what that was overturned on. The new trial was ordered, which we've had. The conviction in this second trial was entered in December, and now this is the sentencing hearing. And so uh, talking about today, the ma- uh, uh, it is second-degree murder that the conviction is. The minimum is, so it's a life sentence regardless. The question now for the judge is, because it's automatic in a second-degree conviction, the question for the judge is how much time before, and he even expressed difficulty with that, that he didn't feel, he thought this was the, for the parole board, you know, judge openly opining, isn't this something that the parole board should be really tasked with? But then, And they are going forward after the, uh, the ruling has been made in the courts. In any event, uh, that's the issue now. He has to decide, and without that other information, it, it certainly bothers him. He doesn't, uh, he's not comfortable with the only explanation that's been there. And the other issue is that Craig Pope has never testified, and he said, as is his right not to, and that is the large gap in this. We've never heard Craig Pope's side of this story. So for whatever reason, that's been the strategy of the defense. Um, and again, uh, they just finished up actually in Supreme Court a short period of time ago. Uh, they'll be back in court on September the tw- uh, sorry February the 29th, leap year, um, for the actual sentencing to find out how many years he sends in prison. But the defense is asking for the minimum, which would be the automatic life sentence, but 10 years, which is the minimum that he would have to serve before being f- eligible for parole. Doesn't even say he's going to get parole, but eligibility. And then the Crown is asking for 12 years, which is the same that the Crown asked for last time. Interestingly, Linda, these were two jury trials. This jury trial, six of the members made a recommendation on sentence for 12 and a half years. The previous trial, the first one, there was no recommendation. So that was pointed out to take that for what it's worth. And when we talk about parole in these particular cases, what are we talking about? Just some... The ability to leave well, the prison system. Yeah, you know how these things go. So even most recently uh, in the Greg Parsons uh, case, you know, he, we've been watching Brian Doyle, who was eventually um, uh, tried and convicted for the murder of uh, Greg Parsons' mother, Catherine Carroll. Um, the situation, you watch it as it goes. So your very first opportunity for parole is, you know, depending on how well and behaved you've been in the system, how well you have followed all the programs and counseling that was ordered by the courts, conditions of the courts, you know, these no-contact rules, all of that. You keep a squeaky clean record, and you're probably going to get day parole on your first shot. Depending on every case is different. Uh, You know, a murder trial is not the same as, you know, Uh, a theft trial or a drug trial. They're both serious, but let's face it, murder is the most serious crime in the criminal code. So uh, they might be different. But ultimately, the better behaved you are in prison, the first chance you get, you'll probably get a crack at day parole. And then it's all in the hands of the parole board, how you conduct yourself. It's just like anything, right? Your record speaks for itself. Follow the conditions, everything that's laid down, and progressively you get more freedom until you get full parole. And then after 25 years, um, well, you know, it's a life term. So you'll be, you know, no matter what, you're under conditions the rest of, uh, for, the, for the duration. So these are two um, very high profile, very um, graphic type mm. of um, cases in the last two days, back to back. I mean, we're not immune to the emotion that uh, you feel in these kinds of things. And I know you came back from both of these in the last couple of days saying, whew, that was that was tough. How do you how do you process that kind of thing? 
I don't really. Um, you know, it's work. Uh, and I know that's not the right approach. But what else are you going to do? If you stop to think about the emotion of it, then you get invested emotionally. And that's the last thing we can do as journalists, just like the judge can't get emotionally in those. So although sometimes it can happen because emotions are uncontrollable sometimes. Uh, no, I mean, you know, you just do the job. I, you know, 30 years I've been at it. So. Uh, you know, I'm still standing, and really, until something clicks in me, I mean, they're all horrible, Linda. Uh, you know, these are real people um, going through real things, and it's sometimes hard to remember that. Early on in my career, it was, because you just see them in a the courtroom, then you move on, they move on. But um, you get a better grasp with more experience that these things are everlasting. And I will have to say, um, um, Ms. Noseworthy this morning, Jonathan Collins' mother, uh, that's one of the hardest, um, most gut-wrenching um, victim impact on the stand in a courtroom in front of everyone, constantly glaring directly at Craig Pope as she talked about how she and her family were demolished by what he did, by you took my son's life. And she's looking right at him in his eyes. You killed my son. You took my son's life with that one moment. Who, how dare, you know, all the things you can imagine. And, you know, there's people really gripping hard in the, uh, her supporters in the gallery. A couple of big burly men there that, you know, I just look over and I can see. I, I, I wonder how they can keep their emotions intact, to, to tell you the truth. You know, watching what has happened and watching the mother on the stand breaking down. Uh, losing control of all her faculties on the stand. Unable to be able to continue taking breaks. Uh, crying throughout it. Uh, you know, all the things you can imagine. And these are... You know, husbands and brothers and cousins, everything in the gallery, you just wonder what's going through their minds. And uh, there were no shortage of sheriff's officers in that courtroom today, I can tell you that. Wow. Uh, so uh, February 29th, um, the extra day in February, that's mm -hmm. when the sentencing is going to be handed out, um, handed down. Sorry. Brian Callahan, thank you for this. Thanks, Linda. You're welcome. Uh, and we'll be back after the break. When we do so, we're going to get a little update on uh, crab price negotiations with the FFAW. Right after this, this is News Talk on VOCM. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. And we are back. Well, crab price negotiations well underway as we approach uh, the start of the 2024 snow crab fishery. Our guest now is FFAW President Greg Pretty. Hello. Uh, hi, Linda. How are you? Good. So how are talks Good. going? Well, uh, we had uh, four days of uh, what I consider to be productive talks. Uh, we're taking a break now, and uh, both, I think the important uh, part for everybody is that both parties are committed uh, to work towards, to continue to work towards a market-based formula for crab. That's the important news, and uh, we will uh, get back together very shortly and uh, continue that process. It's just the 2nd of uh, February, and so we are making strides, but there's still a lot of work to do. I do want to thank the committee for what they put into it uh, this week, and we're looking forward to getting back to the table. So, it different, a different feel than uh, from the talks last year. Well, I think it's a different situation. Uh, every everybody who is connected with this fishery uh, knows a couple of things. Number one, the inventory issue, which really causes a significant problem, and 
in many respects caused that uh, price to crash. Uh, we, it's not there this year. It, apparently, from the reports from the experts, the market people, that the inventories have moved th- through uh, the market system, particularly in December. There was a, uh, the Americans uh, bought a lot of crab, which was encouraging. Uh, so we don't have that. Uh, so that's I- important. So one would anticipate the market will be looking for fresh uh, crab as we move into the spring. And the other issue is is that uh, the price, uh, while it's we're watching it very carefully, there's two reports a week. Uh, it's kind of flat in the last week or so, but uh, uh, there is a little increase there. Uh, that we that we uh, believe that can uh, change, increase as we move towards the uh, the season. So, you know, uh, I can say that uh, w- with the inventory issue and and the price situation, then uh, we're anticipating, and all are hopeful that uh, the market will continue to increase. And most importantly, they'll get this fishery off the ground uh, in an orderly fashion in April. So are you um, taking a little bit of a break today? When do you resume? Tomorrow? Uh, on Monday? No, we are deciding that. We have some scheduling uh, issues, uh, one of which I want to talk to you about, the, uh, uh, the redfish decision from the minister last week and, uh, and the potential fallout for, uh, for actually the, uh, the COD, the COD quotas for this, uh, this year. Well, indeed, uh, because um, the union was quick to respond last week when the federal minister announced redfish allocations, and the provincial minister is now calling on Ottawa to be fair with the allocations. Uh, you and I spoke about this. You were hopeful leading into a meeting with federal the federal minister last month. So, so what what's happening? What's happened? Uh, very good question. Uh, the minister understood the positions, the economic situations of our uh, Gulf harvesters. No question about it. And she also understood them from Quebec and New Brunswick. They they understand the uh, the importance of redfish to those communities and our harvesters. She also understood the importance of uh, those shrimpers and the future of those shrimpers. So we anticipated an orderly, well, I thought to be anyway, an orderly transition from from shrimp to redfish, which, by the way, included a buyout. It was extremely important for, for our Gulf harvesters. And we were absolutely devastated by the announcement last week that, in fact, uh, there had been a 180-degree turn. And what's happened now, and it's becoming clearer every day that what we're looking at here is a transition from harvesters of the redfish shrimp resources to the corporate entities of this country. It is nothing shorter or clearer than that. And that cannot stand in this country where we can say all of a sudden in that small pool of water in the Gulf of St. Lawrence, that redfish that, that grew in the Cornerbrook area, for those of you who are not familiar with the geography of it, so for redfish that grew in that area can now be caught in that area and supposedly, according to the corporations, uh, um, 
processed in Nova Scotia and picked out Nova Scotia. I mean, it's absolutely ludicrous. So what's happened here is uh, it's devastating uh, to the Northern Peninsula, to our harvesters, to plant workers, to the communities that uh, that look forward to uh, getting into that species, to watching the markets grow, to expanded catches. And right now, how bad is it? Well, our harvesters, our shrimp harvesters in uh, in the Gulf, under this uh, crazy regime, they'll get 62 tons. Now, for the uninitiated, that's about 130,000 pounds of redfish out of that quota, which is which is not enough to pay for the fuel. If in fact uh, they were they were they were they left to catch it. So there's where it is. Uh, there's no history involved here. Uh, the people who made these decisions on redfish obviously uh, have one uh, ideal in mind, and that is to enhance the wealth of these offshore companies, who, by the way, don't have don't have a whole lot of vessels, don't have any plants, uh, but nonetheless. Uh, they will take that quota now if left alone, and our vessels will be left to rot on the wharves. So, so then the people are not going to stand for that, for that kind of a treatment from uh, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans. So there, there will be a backlash. And no discussion of a buyout either. No, we had uh, we we spent a lot of time on this in 2023 and this year so far. Um, we had buy-in on the buy-out from uh, the province of Quebec, uh, from Newfoundland and Labrador, and from New Brunswick. And the feds have uh, the feds have fallen short on on that uh, on that issue. So you know it's uh, economic devastation for uh, hundreds of harvesters, and uh, you know they'll reap. And the corporations will reap the benefit. Now, I want to tell you one thing that uh, we've come, you know, that history, there's a lot to be learned from history. And there's no sense getting old without getting a bit wise. In the non-Gulf-based stern trawlers uh, lost their access to Gulf redfish uh, in 1976. Because in essence, they overfished the entire world. So don't forget, this is not the Atlantic Ocean we're talking about. This is the Gulf. And um, so they lost it. They lost access to it because they were too hard on the species. And without even thinking about the history of this uh, resource, uh, the DFO has said, well, you can go right back in there now and and good luck. So it's it's really, as Jerry Burns said today, it is gobsmacking. And uh, they've 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 lost their moral compass on this if they think they can ignore uh, our members on the Northern Peninsula, our communities, and our culture, and pass it on to people who don't even have vessels. Now that's how insane uh, this decision is. So I've asked for a meeting with the minister once again. Uh, I'm, we'll go through that process. Uh, because what they've announced here is uh, it's not based on science, it's not based on anything, it's just based on trans- transferring a resource onto, uh, onto the um, offshore oligarchs. That's where it is, and uh, that cannot stand. 
That's a big issue, but I know another big issue that you've been uh, working towards, and that uh, is uh, changes to EI. Where, where are we with that? Well, before I get to EI, let, let me just continue on uh, on the, the messaging and the, the results and the devastation caused by that redfish decision. Our harvesters are now saying, and rightfully so, that we must be very careful as to how DFO treats the northern cod. You know that we have a long-standing commitment from the government to Canada that the first 115,000 tons of northern cod belong to, in essence, inshore harvesters. Okay? So, given, given that state in the Gulf right now, given that state of confusion, given that transfer of resource, people are rightfully concerned about what's going to happen. Because, as you know, the talks are coming up in March on, on Northern Cod. You know, they, they kept us in the dark for six years. We're now out of the critical zone. And guess who's at the table now trying to get their, 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 to barge in uh, on Northern Cod? Guess who? Well, the offshore companies. So... So part of our campaign uh, today and next week will be to alert every MHA in this province, every business person in this province, every one of our members and concerned citizens of Newfoundland and Labrador that we have to be and be very cautious moving through this issue. We are concerned about the future of that uh, northern cod. Uh, the same people who made that crazy decision to, to give their redfish to the corporations in, other, in another province could do the exact same thing here. Well, I've already put the Deputy Minister of Fisheries on notice that we will put people in the streets in this province if, in fact, they go down that road of taking something we've waited for 30 years to reappear in our waters and, and take it from us and give it to them. Well, I can tell you right now, our members will not stand for that. So we'll talk about it more next week, but everybody should be on alert of, of what these feds, what this centralist government has the potential to do to the cod fishery. I want to talk about EI, but we're up to a break. Do you mind uh, waiting through the break and we'll come back? Of course, I'll wait. All right. Uh, We'll put you back on hold. And um, when we come back, we'll uh, hear more from FFAW President uh, Greg Pretty right after this. Your voice in Newfoundland and Labrador's biggest conversation. If you want to know what's happening in your province, tune in to Open Line every day. Have your say weekday morning starting at 9 a.m. on Open Line with Patty Daly on your VOCM. And we are back and we're speaking with FFAW President uh, Greg Pretty, and um, he's been outlining um, the crab talks, um, his um, devastation and, and um, disappointment with the federal government decision on uh, redfish quotas in the Gulf and on uh, what that signals for uh, northern cod as those uh, uh, talks continue. But uh, another important issue for fish harvesters and processors in Newfoundland in Labrador has been this change that was made to EI eligibility. What's going on with that? 
Well, let's let's roll the clock back uh, uh, a couple of months last fall. After all the crab had been packed and, and sent across the border, uh, the EI, you know, the system that's supposed to help unemployed workers, because of an increase in employment in the, in the province, in both zones, because of an increase, they changed the qualifying rules. They changed the divisor. They made it more difficult to get on. They also reduced the benefits. I called it the dirty 30s. And, yeah, man, I'm telling you, that's exactly where we're headed. But these moves on EI, Redfish, and the potential devastation on Northern Cod, man, we got quite a mess on our hands here. And, yes, Linda, we will have our members, many of our members, and many other seasonal workers in Atlantic and across Canada go without income during the winter. Wow, that's quite a system, isn't it? That that can happen uh, uh, in an unemployment situation. And people who actually claimed, uh, made a claim after they were laid off, uh, are, are, are stuck. Are stuck. They can't even apply for what the feds came out and offered four extra weeks. So it's it's quite a mess. There's a lot of economic hurt in here. So what we're saying to the feds, well, two things really. One is we, they need to fix what they've broken here. And uh, secondly, for next year, uh, very important, for next year, for this year, for the next claim following this crab season, this cod season, we have to ensure it doesn't happen again. So what we're saying is, and if it takes legislation by the feds to do this, let's do it because it's all for the right reasons. It helps workers. So the key is here that when you start working in your area, then whatever the qualifier is at that point in time, well, that's what it is. If it's 14, it's 14. If it's 12, it's 12. If it's 15, it's 15. But you know the rules going into it as opposed to working the entire season and then being left uh, without income because of uh, an increase in employment in your area. So that's important. I need to, we need to get our elected leadership in harvesting and uh, in processing to talk to the feds about that. We've asked for a meeting on that, and uh, our uh, leadership has been very vocal on that. The other issue for us is to ensure that harvesters are included in the seasonality issue with the EI program. And don't forget, I have asked, me and many other labor leaders in this country have asked for uh, EI uh, to be revamped to be, you know, drop-kicked into the 21st century. It's over 50 years old now, 60 years old, and it really doesn't work for for uh, seasonal workers and, and, and actually full-time too. So it needs to be brought in, in line with actual workplaces, actual work. Everybody gives it lip service. Politicians love to give it lip service, but nobody acts on it. So we're calling on them for that also. So it's extremely important that, uh, and, and that supports our fishing industry. You can't have workers walk away and, and go through the month of February without income. Dear God, I mean, is, is that where we are now? Well, it is where we are now, and it needs to be fixed and to ensure that nobody has to suffer that indignity uh, again. So that's that campaign. You'll hear more about it as we move through. Uh, the weeks. So, of course, time is of the essence here now. We're uh, at February 2nd. Are people's EI already running out? 
Not right now. It'll happen. It, it'll happen towards the end of this month and in into March, as I understand it. So, so it it's it is a matter of urgency, and we're hoping our six MPs can uh, focus on this issue and uh, do the right thing and make sure that people are uh, are not uh, cut off at the worst possible time of the year. And of course, I haven't seen the ice forecast, but um, it's been cold. <laughs> uh, so, is there a possibility that the uh, the crab season could be delayed? Well, from time to time, it is delayed because of ice. I'm, I, I don't have a, a, a clear uh, indication at this point in time, but it's always something that people have to measure as we as we uh, approach uh, April. Greg Pretty, I do appreciate your time. Keep us up to date. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Linda. Bye-bye. And have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, well, your thoughts on that? You're certainly welcome to give us a call. Well, the official opposition is calling on the province to make full use of the Stephenville Airport for its Heart Force One program. VOCM's Richard Duggan speaks with Tony Wakeham about what he would like to see. As well, Wakeham is asked about the Stephenville Airport Diamond Group deal and some of the questions swirling around that. Well, I, I I would think that and ask that Heart Force One actually land its plane and pick up pick up patients at Stephenville in, at the airport in Stephenville. We have patients at the hospital in Stephenville who are taking advantage of this service, but instead of being picked up in Stephenville where we have a fully functional airport, they are having to travel by road ambulance an hour and a half to Deer Lake. And that makes no sense to me. When you have a uh, facility like the Stephenville Hospital that can be used to uh, hold these patients, stabilize these patients, and when the patients are uh, ready for transport, why the plane can't actually land in Stephenville Airport. We often talk about patient-centered care. Well, putting someone on an ambulance unnecessarily for an hour and a half does not seem to be patient-centered care. Has government or the health authority given a reason for why they're doing it this way? Well, they talk about efficiencies and stuff, but again, you know, it seems like they they want to eliminate services as opposed to improving them. I mean, the concept of Heart Force One was a good concept. We all applauded it. But then to hear some of the uh, things about where it's going to actually land or not land. I mean, if we ha- we have an airport in Stephenville, we have a hospital in Stephenville that uh, these patients can be held at. And so it makes no sense for someone to have to be taken out of the hospital, put in a road ambulance and driven an hour and a half to the airport in Deer Lake. Uh, Mr. Wakeham, on a on a separate but but somewhat related topic, um, we keep hearing about concerns um, out of Stephenville about the deal with the Diamond Group. Um, we keep hearing concerns from people, whether that be about timelines or lack of clarity about what's happening there. And now we're hearing uh, concerns about allegations of um, conflicts of interest there. As the MHA for the area, do you have any concerns about how that whole situation is playing out? Well, again, I mean, I haven't been privy to the contracts or the or the purchase agreements or. Any- 
any of those things. So that's something that obviously will find and work its way through. But right now, I know that we have an airport that the air ambulance actually lands at. The regular air ambulance flies into Stephenville and picks up patients uh, from Sir Thomas Roddick Hospital in Stephenville and transports them uh, to the tertiary care center here in St. John's. So to me, there is absolutely no reason why heart force one patients couldn't have the same service uh, stephenville hospital you know is a uh, fantastic facility and that's one of the things that I, I think this government is cherry picking when it comes to the health accord you know we have all of these assets in our province that we already have facilities with the equipment and the technology and the staff capable of doing work and and how do we maximize and utilize the uh, the assets we already have that's one of the things that I think is missing here, and Stephen Hospital is a classic example of that. Are any of your constituents re- reaching out about the, the concerns, though, that, that we've been hearing about uh, the Stephenville Airport deal? I have not uh, had many calls to my office about it, to be perfectly honest. There are uh, lots of uh, talk in the community about it because, of course, uh, there has been lots of uh, communication, I guess, in the media through uh, Mr. Diamond about the plans for the airport, and uh, and they have not materialized yet. But uh, what we want to see here is an airport that is uh, fully utilized and the creation of jobs, whether that be 50 jobs or 100 jobs, uh, and how best do we we do that? Uh, Mr. Diamond is obviously best uh, suited to answer questions about uh, what the plans are for the uh, Stephenville Airport. And that's opposition leader Tony Wakeham with the last word on the OCM News Talk for this week. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. Bye-bye for now.